0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants.
1: For every rebel I kill tomorrow, I'm going to put a notch on my belt.
0: And how many notches you got so far?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> never understand why we're doing so much killing and dying. Just to set some
1: slaves free. This war isn't just about freeing some people. It's about freedom for everyone. That's what this country was built on. What's that supposed to mean? I'm free, he's free, you're free. Not freedom for all, we're all slaves. Doesn't matter whether you're black, white, green. Green? (laughs) (laughs) Figuratively, of course. Meaning anyone, even those we might not have met yet.
0: Thought it made sense to me when I joined up, but. don't no more. After all I've seen. There are many
1: kinds of oppression. Like being oppressed by a society that stifles purpose. Without purpose, none of you are truly free men.
3: Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, August 24th, 2017. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into colour, colour into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to our show today as the summer winds down. We're once again joined by Salim Mansoor in studio. Welcome again, Salim. I guess you had a nice summer, did you?
4: Thank you. Yes, so oh, far. <laughs> well, we're going to be
3: talking about some of what you did, including a movie that you didn't particularly appreciate yes. too much on one level. But before we begin that discussion, don't forget, you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course all of our past broadcasts. Well, I thought it would be a, a dead summer or a sleepy summer, but it sure wasn't that. There have been many events. We'll be talking about, of course, Charlottesville and some of the the issue of that but you seem to see a larger trend in this and it, and it struck you first you called me a couple of weeks ago about a movie you went to see called Dunkirk and i'm just wondering how your reaction to that movie which you say kind of reflects our sense of history or l- our lack thereof yeah. well this is what clay powell said in his column of august 10th where he writes he went to see the movie too. And he says, Hollywood's attempt to recapture one of the great Nazi victories of the Second World War. Over 500,000 Allied troops were trapped on a wide beach on the coast of France, within eyesight of the English coastline. The movie had some good scenes of a few Spitfire planes trying to protect the troops, standing in long lines on the sand below and trying to swim the British ships, most of which were burning and sinking. The whole thing was filmed against a background of deafening sounds of gunfire and plane engines. It wasn't a bad movie, but it really did not tell or try to tell the story which led up to that horrible event. And it's funny because they, I saw that they were promoting the whole movie as the event that shaped our world. That's how they, they pushed it in the promo, and yet I didn't see anything in the movie that would suggest an event that shaped our world other than this battle
4: that was yeah, going on. Yeah, you're out. right, Bob. I went to see uh, Dunkirk, Christopher Nolan's uh, movie, Hollywood's big summer blockbuster. Uh, as a movie, simply as a, as a movie and a production value, it was uh, Hollywood at its, I would say, best. It was a big screen, mm-hmm. one of the great scenes and setting. Production with Kenneth, quality. With well. Kenneth Branagh and all of that and, and, and a good amount of money spent. Christopher Nolan is now one of the leading Hollywood directors with bag of big hits, you know, the Batman trilogy and so on. But I went to see the movie because of the name, Dunkirk. And, you know, you and I uh, and Robert, we belong to that generation that we have grown up with the story of the Second World War. We have, you know, we can list any number of great war movies, you know, from the top of our head. And I thought that, you know, here we will go and I'm going to go and see another great movie deserving and I'll talk to my students about them and encourage them to go and see 72 years since the end of the second world war and the time is receding but what i came out of the movie was that this movie is now more or less the metaphor of our time it is a metaphor of where the west is headed because this movie bleached out history i mean dunkirk was not about the great moment in the war that began in nineteen thirty-nine, September nineteen thirty-nine, and here in the May of nineteen forty, at Dunkirk, uh, what hung in balance was the future not only of Britain, but for the rest of the world. The the German army had swept no. across across, as you know. I mean, we won't go into detail, but it swept across. Paris was had fallen. Uh, the British government was in great calamity. The month of May was a hinge point, and if they hadn't been able to pull out over three hundred and fifty thousand stranded British soldiers and some French soldiers out of there, then Britain could have, might have had a different fate and destiny, you know. It was almost like going back to uh, Napoleon's Battle of Trafalgar or, uh, you know, all the way back to Armada. Well, no. But none of that was there, and our well, students. Okay, you know, so so, so a, that so that's the history. So this yeah. is a, this
3: is a movie recreation. Are you su- suggesting that this movie has purposely left out the history, or was it really the, the uh, director's uh, very, very, very focus good. just to focus on the battle and forget Ver- the history? Very,
4: very good question. Very good question. I cannot get into the head of Christopher Nolan mm-hmm. or Hollywood. But as we see the movie, as we walk out, if I ask my 20-year-old student. Christopher Nolan was born in 1970. Uh, and, and here is the man who's scripting and making the movie. So that generation, you know. Uh, and I asked my 25-year student, or 22-year student, what did you learn? What did you see? What was this battle about? When did this take place? Because the story as it is told could be any group of soldiers standing in any beach. And the heroism, there is heroism, of how to get this stranded soldier back to their home. That's all the story is about. But what it could be in 2050. It could be facing Martian. But that particular, you know, everything has a context. My students wouldn't know what was the context, what was happening, who were these people, what were they f- facing. It's interesting
2: and, you're saying the word context, and I think that that is the metaphor you're trying to illustrate here with Dunkirk, is that today's political issues lack context?
4: Absolutely. So the frame, that's what I said, the frame of the movie, the movie is a metaphor of what has happened to us. Now, could it be deliberate? Possibly. Could it be selling a product to a generation of people that have grown up without any history? No context. So who was only interested in action? There was no dialogue. There was no engagement. See,
3: I can't sit through a movie without dialogue and engagement. Exactly. I just can't do it. I'm sorry. I, even, even the trailer had so little dialogue, I couldn't relate to anything. Yes. And, yes. and it, it turned me off, the movie, to be honest with you. Maybe that's a,
2: an indication of just the expectation of the audience today. The expectation back in our day, perhaps, uh, I mean, I grew up with just two channels on a TV and it was black and white. I'm sure that, well, you guys are a little older than me, so it was probably a lot worse than what I had to go through. However- yeah, we had something called we, radio. Radio. <laughs> well, we are today being entertained to death. And while back in the 60s, you'd have a minute commercial, right now it's broken down sometimes to five seconds. Everything is bullets, bullets, bullets. Quick, quick, quick. Because the mind now it can't seem to focus. Or at least that's what Hollywood seems to think, is that the mind of today's movie moviegoer does not want to sit through political dialogue.
4: Yes, but all of that is true. I mean, there's a famous book by Neil Postman, Amusing Ourselves to Death, that mm-hmm. was written in the late or mid-1990s, that... The, the what is happening as the, the techno the technology is growing in the terms of uh, image technology, television, movies, and now we have YouTube, we have iPhone, and all of it. That we are amusing ourselves to that, and there is no content to it. There hence no context to what with what we are dealing with, you know. And our mind is being bleached out, and that's what I see all around me. You know, I mean, we we can we can put so many data point. I mean, this is 2017. This guy Christopher Nolan is forty. Seven years old. He was born in 1970. So his generation has grown up with without history. In 1987, that is 17 years after Christopher Nolan was born. So Christopher Nolan was in high school. I'm just putting that generation now in context. Came out Alan Bloom's book. Alan Bloom was one of my professors i sat in his class i listened to his lecture okay, the nice. closing of the american mind you know so 30 years ago that book came out it was a landmark book it was a book that became a bestseller which is rare for a highly dense political philosophy book to become and what was it about the closing of the american mind you know he was talking about and he was talking about in 1987 looking back to the post-war generation, that is from people who had come away after the Second World War. So we're dealing with now three generations, as I said, 72 years, this closing of the American mind that has taken place, which means contexts have been driven out. And how I would explain it is as follows. We live in the moment, this moment, and this moment is simply a series of episodes and anecdotes and events. It is not at all connected to any larger frame.
2: Uh, I think Leonard Peikoff would call that a disintegration of knowledge. It is not simply um, uh, wrong knowledge. It's simply that everything is not related. Yeah. And that's wrong, of course. Now, when I said that perhaps Christopher Nolan was appealing to a generation that seems to take everything in bullets and in, in short episodic visual images that does not excuse anybody from picking up a book and to learn about history so i mean i think that when i said that christopher nolan may have been gearing his audience or his his movie to a particular audience that doesn't excuse it and i don't even know that that's actually correct today with the Charlottesville incident, for example, and you have a president coming out there saying what he did, which, by the way, I loved what President Trump had to say. The problem is that nobody understood what he had to say because they're looking through it through the lens of today's media. I think that Christopher Nolan, or at least Hollywood, the media, journalists, the academia, uh, the political elite, all of them have a concerted, purposeful effort of whitewashing history, destroying history, not mentioning history. And I think that that, while well, I don't know that that's Christopher Nolan's motive, I think that, that it's most likely his now, motive.
4: All of, all of that is, can, is part of our conversation and our discussion. Remember what famously Orwell said in 1984, those who control the present control the past. Those who control the past control the future history by the way, has always been contested. It's not that the question of history is not contested. History is always contested, but it means as you say, are saying it Robert, it is read, there are different points of view. you bring it all together. so that's fine. Christopher Nolan's movie Dunkirk, which we begin in, could be a contested history it could not could it could have shown not only the bravery of the uh, the the British people who came out in droves the, the with the boats to rescue <clears throat> to rescue the stranded soldiers. It could have also shown the German army sweeping across Europe. Of course it could it? be it could be it was, could be contested. What is it what is it being told about in this story, you know, seventy two years later. Germans have made great movies in the last 15, 20 years, about their own history, their own participation in World War. And they have shown tremendous heroism on the part of German. Remember Das Boot. Das Boot was, was, uh, you know, was, uh, 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 was a great mm, movie. with yeah. Jurgen Stalingrad was a great movie, and so on. It showed the heroism, the sacrifice of the German soldiers without in any way flattering or preaching the Nazi ideology. You know
2: that's a great point to, to go into a break because well, when we come back I want to bring up Robert E.
0: Lee. Yes, absolutely. Let's do that. Where are we going? Dunkirk. I'm
5: not going back. There's no hiding from this son. We have a job to do. If we go they will die.
0: The enemy tanks have stopped. Why? Why well, waste precious
6: tanks when they can pick us off from the air, like fish in a barrel? There are 400,000 men on this beach.
7: So you all know the terrible story about what happened in Charlottesville over the weekend on Saturday when a 20-year-old alt-right protester, if you want to call him that, rammed his car at high speed into a crowd, killing one, injuring many others. But the question I want to know is, where were the police and who told them to virtually stand down during a day of protest? I'm Steve Green, this is Right Angle on BillWhittle.com and with me, of course... Bill Whittle and Scott Ott. Gents, the mayor of Charlottesville, well, let me make sure I've got his name correct, uh, Mike Siner has been all over the news since uh, since Saturday afternoon making a real name for himself. He uh, he won't call President Trump by his name. He's just been referring to him as, as as 45. He's been taking the moral high ground in this. But it was his police force that weren't there. Scott, if you're the mayor in a situation like this, what do you tell your police?
5: I don't really know what happened here. However, you know, you say he took the moral high ground. I mean, what is well, the moral that's, high I ground? I didn't
7: say he earned it. <laughs> I said he took it. That's an important that's right. distinction.
5: Well, well played. I also have a problem with the term alt-right, frankly. And yes, so I, do I. I don't use the term simply because it implies that something about it is right. And there's nothing right about it.
2: So just past week now, uh, we've seen Charlottesville, and even on Sunday here in Canada, we saw the um, violence in Quebec City when um, left-wing communists um, tried to counter-protest people who were asking the government to uphold the law when it comes to immigration in this country. And I'm going to talk about Charlottesville because it feeds into what you're talking about, Salim, with history being destroyed purposefully. People want to take down the statue of of the General Robert E. Lee. and, And on one side, you could say that, well, why have a statue of a man who fought on the losing side? And then you talk about Das Boot and the Germans' perspective of World War II and the heroism of the average soldier who puts ideology aside... and and just simply stands up to fight for his country. And I think that Robert E. Lee could be rightly seen as that. If you check out Robert E. Lee on the internet, you'll find out that he wrote a letter to his wife in which he describes slavery as one of the greatest evils in the world. But it's not up for him to bring it down. It's up to God and providence. In other words, it's just too big a, a, a thing for him to fight about. So what he fought about, was the incursion of the North into the South, into his state of Virginia. And when people put it in perspective, the statue of Robert E. Lee, I think, was erected to commemorate the heroism of the South in a battle against the North, not necessarily as a statue to
4: glorify the slavery that the South had. Robert E. Lee is a fascinating character. He was a war hero of the United States in the Mexican War. He had served together with Ulysses S. Grant. And Lincoln wanted to appoint him as the head of the U.S. Army. But he chose to go back to Virginia. So there's a lot of history there. But here is the bottom line. The Civil War ended, and it was Lincoln's reaching out, and then followed that by President Grant, in the effort of reconciliation. There was no kangaroo courts. There was no something like what happened in South Africa, Truth and Reconciliation Committee, that has now become so fashionable in our time. It was a process of politics, of reaching out to the South, to the brothers, and saying the war is over, the issues have been settled. Let's
2: move on. And Robert E. Lee Let's was actually pivotal that. And Robert that.
4: E. Lee was iconic.
2: He but, actually agreed with the reconciliation. He says, look, we lost. But, there was a call to have a guerrilla warfare against the North after the Civil War. And he said, no, look, we lost it. Let's yeah, move on. Yes, As a matter of yeah. fact, he even said, don't put up any statues right. for right. the Confederacy. Right.
4: So the pulling down of the statues in the South is no different than the pulling down of statues by Taliban or the destruction of for historic Buddha, artists. Yeah. In fact, by ISIS, you know, they destroyed mm. the city of Pamira, which goes back to the Roman time. Now, mind in Syria. you, would,
2: would you suggest that the taking down of the statues of Stalin in the in the old Soviet Union was not a proper thing? To have the statues, the huge statues of Stalin uh, or Lenin, you know, in, in, in Russian cities, maybe they should have been taken down.
4: Yeah, well, those okay. people
2: killed 20 millions okay. upon millions okay. of people. And do we want to forget that? No, that's, we don't want to forget thing. it. I think but it just,
3: depends on the context and the location and how it all happens. I, I don't think, think so. it's I don't yeah. think it's. It
4: also depends upon who the people are. The, the Soviet Union and the revolution and what happened there as opposed to what's happening in America is two distinct society and two distinct cultures.
2: Ah, but there is a commonality. And you know something? I think that Antifa would love to erect a statue of, of
4: Lenin yeah, in, may, in Charlottesville. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, but Lenin is <laughs> part of... of and the, Marx. No, but here is the point. Just as the First Amendment makes no exception, historians will not and should not if they are worth the salt, make exception. These are all part of the historical record, whether it's Cengiz Khan, Timur Lane. You know, I went to Samarkand and I saw the, the Uzbek have built a huge, massive, glorious, I say in an architectural sense, statue of Timur Lane because he is their hero. But in India, he heaped up mountains of skulls when he invaded India. History is cont- contested. So I'm not into that. I'm coming back to the problem, the amnesia. That's the metaphor I said, amnesia, that we live in a moment. What is the diagnosis of a person with Alzheimer? He lives in the moment. Yes. He has no further knowledge of who he is, what he is, or she, of the day before. Forget about where he comes from, you know. In practical term, if any one of our listeners want to understand this, let them go and take a walk through the geriatric hospital or the old folks home. You and I, we are all headed in the same direction in the sense we all fall apart and living in the moment is falling apart. The metaphor of Dunkirk is the West is falling apart, and this is all the symptom that we are seeing. And the question is that those of us who are fighting against that falling apart as a people, that is to maintain our history, to maintain a record, to respect who we are, that is, defend the First Amendment. Charlotteville was about the First Amendment. You know, remember uh, that the U.S. Supreme Court have given number of rulings, but one of the most famous ruling, which directly affects Charlottesville was the ruling from 1977 of the U.S. National Socialist Party, the Nazi Party, and Skokie, where these people... With, with Nazi flags, through. The, I wanted to walk through Skokie, Illinois, where the population was almost 60% people of Jewish background and survivors of Holocaust. It was provocation directly in the face of the victims of Hitler and the Third Reich. And what did the Supreme Court say? They have the right to do that. This is protected speech. This is First Amendment. If you don't like it, you don't have to listen to them. Switch it off. They don't have to rec- the right to do violence. What happened was the violence was done by the left-wing thugs. And that's what President Trump pointed out, that there was both side evil people.
2: I agree. And what's interesting to me today is watching this process of disinformation, fraudulent news, fake news, uh, misinterpretation, and outright lies. And we can take the transcripts of at least the two press conferences that Trump dealt with Charlottesville, the one on Monday following the,
4: uh, uh,
2: the events of the weekend, he flatly, unequivocally denounced the, denounced yes. the protesters who had the permit. Ooh. He denounced them, and he denounced the, uh, the man who ran over the 20 people and killed that one woman. He Unequivocally, and yet what does the press say? He didn't denounce them. He okay. didn't go far enough. He did it too late. And then he takes the, uh, the, the, the press conference, which happened to be about the, his industrial plan, and answered questions. And things like, uh, they, they make me really respect the man. I think he'll probably go down as one of the best presidents in history. Absolutely. When he says, for example, um, on a question about McCain, and he says to the, to the reporters, when you say the alt-right, you define it. Go ahead. Define it for me. Let's go. Oh, my God. He, Trump said that? Yeah. Tur- Trump, that's a quote. <gasps> that right. means he
3: knows the weapon. He knows the secret. And it's define defi- your Define, define or be defined. Yeah. Oh, my God. No he says, wonder he's winning.
2: And he says when, when somebody officially uh, asks, do you think what you call the alt-left is the same as neo-Nazis? And he goes, look, I've condemned neo-Nazis. I've condemned many different groups. Not all of those people were neo-Nazis. Now, that is a fact that the press are not putting out yeah, there. Yeah,
4: he suppressed it.
2: It's also it's a fact
3: about a, a man who is the president of the United States who thinks clearer than any of his critics, and who and who can see through. You know, I, I was looking at this. Look at this headline: "History ripped apart Trump." In the, the, the Toronto Sun on August eight quote President Donald Trump bitingly decried the rising movement to pull down monument monuments to Confederate icons Thursday declaring the nation is seeing the history and culture of our great country being ripped apart. You can't change history but you can learn from it he tweeted. Robert E Lee Stonewall Jackson who's next Washington Jefferson so foolish and yeah they are next they're they're talking about them already and he mentions the beauty being taken out of our cities now there's a guy who seems to understand history. History. And and he, he's the guy they're all calling the he, fool he
4: he has been underrated underestimated right through the primary season and go, and going on for uh, onwards but here's the point about amnesia living in the moment the reason the mainstream press is doing what they're doing and in a sense they're winning uh winning to the to the unwashed people out there, people who went to see Christopher Nolan's movie and called it a blockbuster, on and on and on, is they're winning because we live in a moment and nobody, therefore, has the capacity, the audience out there, to connect it, you see? There is no connection, there is no context, you know? So fake news only can thrive, and this is what is how happening, it is thriving, it is flourishing, Even Goebbels, if if he's somewhere out there in, in Dante's Inferno, he would be laughing that he has won. He's got the American media become what Goebbels was trying to do with his own media, which is to spread the lie. The lie can only spread if you don't know the truth, if you don't have the facts, if you live in the moment. And that's precisely what is happening. And and Trump is winning because there's still enough people out there, the flyover country, the people with hard hats, the people who sweat, the people who ride their Harley Davidson, you know, and the people, on and on and on. Basically the, anybody who who's closely the moment, connected to reality. <laughs> the closely, exactly, yeah. daily, yeah. daily connected to the reality.
2: Well, there's been always a clash going back hundreds of years between the burgers And the rural people, the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks, the uh, city dwellers and the rural dwellers. And I think we're seeing it today. And that's how Trump got elected, because the the rural people or the people in the small town America are not the Bolsheviks that are uh, dominating politics and the uh, ivory towers and journalism today. And I think when we come back after this break, I'd like to go into about a little bit of history and sort of try to tie some of this stuff together. We'll be back after this.
7: Yeah, I, I look at a, uh, at a scene like this over the weekend where you've got uh, people waving Soviet flags on the one side and uh, some people waving Nazi flags on the other side. And I think of Henry Kissinger's remark about the Iran-Iraq war back in the 80s when he said, it's a pity they can't both lose. Uh, yeah. Bill, here we have a situation where it at least looks like the authorities were helping to gin up violence between these two groups to serve their own ends. Is that what it looks like to you?
5: I would like to make the same caveat that both you and Scott have sure. made in terms of not having the full picture and so on. So this is obviously just speculation. But if the mayor has such a problem, if he's got such an emotional problem that he cannot name President Trump, if he simply won't speak his name, then there's something emotionally wrong with this guy. This is not the kind of level-headed person you want to be running a city. If if you're going to be that adolescent about things, then you, you, let's just understand that's the starting ground. The decision to stand down the police it seems to me is either one of two things either he decided to have the police stand down because he thought it would increase safety or he decided to take them out because he thought it would decrease safety if the first is true if he if he thought it was a better safer option to not have the police be there then he's badly 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 informed as usual and here's a little news flash for you folks one of the reasons why I spend so much time and energy and so do my partners talking about how we're not Nazis and we're not racist. Well, one of the main reason really is because we're not Nazis and we're not racist. If we were Nazis and racist, we'd be proud of this fact, like the rest of the Nazis and the racists out there marching in the streets. want to talk about purpose. I got a family back home. The days are getting shorter, and and I should be getting my farm ready for winter. I got two young'uns. My oldest girl's expected. She's about to bring a life into this world. And here I am, hundreds of miles away, taking them out.
1: Those young'uns of yours? you'd be better off for your service here.
5: How so if their pappy winds up shot dead?
1: What we say here will soon be forgotten. But what you do here will be remembered. Those men across cross the battlefield tomorrow. They were your brothers once. And when this is settled, they will be again. What you do here will ripple throughout history and it will pave the way for all men to be united reach for the stars.
5: (laughs) You got some kind of crystal ball? How could you possibly know that?
3: You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Thank you to our financial supporters who have made it possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. You can visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample some of our timeless past broadcasts, all archived, not just for your listening, enjoyment and convenience, but also as a record of our dedication, consistency and principled approach to the discussion of all things just right about freedom and capitalism. Well, before the break, Bob, we were talking about how
2: history seems to be lost. And I've, in the wake of Charlottesville and uh, other events, have looked up a little bit of history. Now, my my understanding of the Soviet Union and the German Workers' Party and all of that is probably just as, as good as the man on the streets. In other words pretty bad. So I, I go out and I look it up. And then we have a, a, a professor of political science here who can help me out on this. But in my cursory investigation into Antifa, I find that, first of all, their flag is identical in every respect to the flag, which was created by the German Communist Party back in 1932. And on it, it had anti Aktion. And their slogan at that time was, By Any Means Necessary, which was an explicit call to violence. This is also the slogan of Antifa today. We're going back almost a hundred years, and the debate about Karl Marx and communism is the same as it is today. We have people in Antifa showing up with balaclavas, covering their identity, showing up with clubs clubs and two-by-fours. The car that ran those people down in Charlottesville was first hit from behind by a club-wielding man with a flag on his stick, right? And as soon as that stick hit the back of that car, the car took off and plowed into the people. That's not talked about, of course. We see people wearing Che Guevara shirts, a, a Marxist himself. We see people uh, actually holding up the hammer and sickle on flags in these Antifa rallies. And what we have here is a bunch of, on one hand, white supremacist neo-Nazis who can probably fill up this small room if you, if you actually herded them together. And on the other hand, you have a well-organized, well-funded group of communists calling themselves Antifa, dredging up the history from a 100 years ago embracing communism and Marxism and neo-Marxism and postmodernism and Soviet-style tactics of brutality as the Bolsheviks had versus the Mensheviks, which were a little more moderate and, and rural. And if people made those connections in history from 1932 or even going back to the first commun- or the third communist international from 1919 to 1943, the slogans that they used, the pamphlets that they had. Now, Salim Mansur, professor of political science, can you flesh out this history for me and tell me, am I on the right track in trying to make a connection between Antifa today and the uh, German Communist Party of 1932?
4: no you're right we don't have the time to flesh it out in detail but you've already done so in your remarks the point or the or the description that you made is is quite right but this is the phenomena is what we are dealing with the closing of the american mind uh, canadians are no better the closing of the canadian mind the closing of the european mind it is the closing of the mind by living in the moment and so the and the point is the, the big lie which is what you're coming back to the fake news is uh, as simply as follows the Nazi Party was the German National Socialist Party. Workers Party is a party of the left. Mussolini was an original member of the Communist Party. Party of a man of the left, and, and, and the Communists is on the left. So all of this is on the left. You know the fight that took place between the Communists and the Fascists was a fight of siblings. Remember, it was Hitler, and of course this has all been forgotten. Hitler and Stalin signed the famous uh, Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact it was again the stab in the back so to speak by hitler on stalin but they were they had signed the pact they divided up eastern europe so they're all on the same side So at the end of Second World War, when the pictures of the uh, uh, war now comes out, uh, the destruction, the savagery, the barbarism, the inhumanity, and most importantly, the pictures from the concentration camps of the uh, Nazis, of the Third Reich that comes out, and the people that pour out of there, you know, straggling and weak and devastated. Now, what is the story about this? This is what the Germans had done. But had the had the Russian done any better, the Soviet? No. They had done the same, similar or worse, but what is worse in when in, in these matter? How many times you can kill a man and call it worse? So you had a huge problem in your hand as the Allied forces came back, as Americans returned. How do you explain it? But the big the problem was a political problem for the people the of the Progressive Party, for the Democrats. And remember, they stayed out of the war. They supported the left movement in America. And so they had to do a shuffle two step. And the shuffle two step was the Nazis are the right. They're fascists.
3: Yes, they had to relabel them something they weren't.
4: That's right. Right. And they moved the whole story and put it on the right. These are are the right And that's still going on today. And that's what. And so, yes, communists. Are also violent. Communists are bad. They had the Gulag. They had the uh, uh, Ukrainian Holocaust, the, the Holodomor, and so on and so forth. But you know, they had the ends. That is what we all share. You know, their utopia. The 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 German Nazis have have no redeeming value. And so that's what has happened. That's what Antifa is. It it picks up all the issues, the fly, the symbols of, a, as you point out, of the communists in, in the 20s and 30s. But the communists and the fascists were all in the same boat.
2: Oh, of course, and, and we agree. As a matter of fact, Bob's last show talked about how the, uh, the alt-right is an anti-concept because the purpose of anti-concept is to destroy a true concept, that being the right. fascism. Yeah. That being communism, that being the left. There's no need for an alt anything. That doesn't make any sense. Now, I'd like to bring up another little piece of history to put into this um, growing puzzle. And that is, uh, you brought it back to the social democrats in the United States and the socialists in the United States. And one of the prominent members back in 1930s was Claudia Jones, who was a black Trinidadian uh, American who was also a member of the Communist Party of America. Now, she was kicked out of the United States, exiled because of her communist um, advocacy. And the slogan that she brought up at that time was called triple oppression. The triple oppression was classism, racism, sexism. Those were the things that she chose to focus on in an effort to garner the support of the people around communism. We have to fight class. We have to fight racism. We have to fight sexism. And what do we see today? We see the University of Toronto chastising Professor Jordan Peterson for refusing to use those compelled pronouns. And we see the same things about racism In the United States, we see the same things last Sunday here in Canada, in Quebec City, where um, the press here called an organization, uh, what's it called, Lamute, M-E-U-T-E, I think it's spelled, which simply wanted to have the government enforce our laws on immigration because they see all the Haitians by the thousands and all the Muslims by the thousands crossing over the border from the United States, a safe country, coming into Canada and not being properly vetted. And so what do they get? What are they called? They're called the far right. Okay, here's the press, the left, communist left, picking on people who rightly or not rightly, I don't really know the mot- uh, enough to be able to say whether or not they're a bunch of uh, wackos or racists or anything like that. But I know, I certainly know that Islam is not a race or Haiti is not a race. And then you have the Antifa thugs come out, the communists, committing all the violence in Quebec City, throwing the rocks and the beer bottles and the fireworks at the police, which were upholding the law and the right of the people to protest. This is 1932 all over again. This is almost like Kristallnacht all
4: over again, and we're seeing it today. And again, I go back to amnesia, living in the moment, disconnected, no context, and that allows the left, To portray itself as the good guys, you know. Let's, again, put some context to Charlottesville and the white Nazis and the KKK and so on and so forth. The FBI is the only reliable document source in American politics to find out about various groups, their numbers, and so on and so forth. According to the FBI uh, documents, the KKK and the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists today number something around 60,000 people. So even if you inflate it to 100,000, that is a drop in a bucket in a country that they couldn't, you know, elect anybody as a dog catcher. David Duke has tried four times in deep south and in Louisiana to be elected and has failed repeatedly. So here's the point. You know, there's 100,000 over here now. They amount to nothing. But 100 years ago, as America was getting into World War One, the numbers of of people officially registered with the KKK was 4 million in a population at that time in America, which is approaching, or quite not, but there, 100 million. And so 4% of the population were members officially of the KKK. Which was a Democratic was organization. Exactly. was a Democratic Democrats. Party yeah. and an armed winning of the Democratic Party. And they were elected governors and they were elected congressmen and they were elected senators. All the way to Senator Robert Byrd who was a high official of the KKK a visit of the KKK, a grand visit of the KKK, who became the majority leader in the Senate for the Democrats for whom when uh, uh, he died, there was everybody, Obama, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, and everybody singing pions of praise. And you can't drive, as I have driven, through West Virginia and miss a site which is not something to do with Sem- Senator Robert Byrd. The main highway is Senator Robert Bird highway, you know, schools, buildings, plazas. He's the Grand Wizard of the KKK. So here we come back again to my point. You live in a moment. You don't connect. Nobody wants to connect. Of course, the media is good at hiding it. That's the fake news. And here what they're doing is a Democratic Party that has been living with, breathing, cohabitating, seducing each other with the leading members of the KKK. Have
6: courage, my friend. These communists are all cowards. (laughs) Have you looked at our caps recently? They've got skulls on them. (laughs) Why skulls, though? What? Why skulls? Well, maybe they're the skulls of our enemies. Maybe. But is that how it comes across? It doesn't say next to the skull, you know, yeah, we killed him, but trust us, this guy was horrid. Well, no, but... I mean, what do skulls make you think of? Death. Cannibals, beheading, um, pirates. Pirates are fun! I didn't say we weren't fun, but fun or not, pirates are still the baddies. I just can't think of anything good about a skull. What about pure Aryan skull shape? Even that is more usually depicted with the skin still on. <laughs> Where's the Allies... Oh, you haven't been listening to Allied propaganda. Of course they're going to say we're the bad guys. But they didn't get to design our uniforms. <laughs> and their symbols are all, you know, quite nice. Stars, stripes, lions, sickles. What's so good about a sickle? Well, nothing. And obviously, if there's one thing we've learned in the last thousand miles of retreat, is that Russian agriculture is in dire need of mechanisation. <laughs> Tell me about it. But you've got to say, it's better than a skull. I mean... I really can't think of anything worse as a symbol than a skull. A rat's anus? (laughs) Yeah, and if we were fighting an army marching under the banner of a rat's anus, I'd probably be a lot less worried, Hans.
0: I've had a rough week. No, it's not what you think. It's not because the liberal media is criticizing us for being too right-wing. That happens all the time. Uh, Something else happened to me for the first time in my life, actually, and I don't really know how to say it other than to just say it, and I can't really believe it, but here it goes, I'll say it. I'm being blackmailed. I'm being extorted. That's what's happening. Uh, I've always known the rule that if you're ever being blackmailed, don't pay. I mean, even if you think you can pay a blackmailer, they'll just ask you for more a second time. But you're scared, so you pay. I thought I could make the problem go away so I actually paid and then I paid again but then they threatened again last night actually and then again this morning so I haven't slept. So I called my lawyers this morning and I've decided I'm done. I'm gonna do what I should have done a few weeks ago and just pull the trigger on myself on my own terms. That's the only thing that takes that power away from an extortionist. It's, it's a pretty bad choice, isn't it? So I'm gonna take the power away from them and I'm going to tell you what happened myself. I'm embarrassed. But you know what? There's, there's no more bullets left in their gun. No more money for you, Kalen Robertson and George Llewellyn John. No more money. For the Rebel Dot Media. I'm Ezra Levant and I'm free.
3: Salim, one of the interesting side effects of Charlottesville that has happened here at home in Canada is what appears to be the meltdown of the, of the Rebel media and I know you've done a subsequent interview with Ezra Levant since that has happened and many of the people who are at the rebel media have left. And I was wondering, we're talking about the whitewashing of history, or perhaps the contesting of history. What would you make of this statement from Brian Lilly's reasons for leaving the rebel media? And he's talking about the events in Charlottesville, and I quote, What anyone from the rebel was doing at a so-called Unite the Right rally that was really an anti-Semitic white power rally is beyond me especially not a rally dedicated to keeping up a statue of Robert E. Lee, a man that whatever else he stood for also fought on the wrong side of history and the wrong side of America's bloodiest conflict. And then he adds, I don't for a moment think Ezra Levant or anyone else at the Rebel is a racist or a white supremacist and pointing to the fact that he couldn't be one because he's Jewish. Now, that to me is a a racist statement. (laughs) I don't think it has anything to do with Ezra, but what is he saying? Here's someone who's supposed to be defending history. Isn't this guy... A lot of people thought he was on the right. I was always a little suspicious.
4: Well, let me say this, you know, and I might get into big trouble by saying this, but Uh let me say it. Nevertheless, I've been in big trouble all my (laughs) life. Just be careful. (laughs) Brian Lilly was a guest on the show. So was Ezra. So So was Ezra. It uh, it, it pertains to not only Brian Lilly, who did what he did in in, in leaving Rebel Media and announcing it to the world, but a whole lot of other people. And, And you can run a list of them, you know, people who write for the National Post and so on. Barbara Kay. Yeah, and, and this is what I have to say. They are proving it by their action. They're all what this gu- this man, Nasim Taleb, uh, the author of Black Swan, IYI, that is intellectual yet idiots. Idiot, yes, yeah, <laughs> You know, these, these people are now proving themselves. They are intellectuals yet idiots or even worse, they're opportunists. They never Never stood for the principle of what they talked about, which is the question of defending a culture of freedom and a culture of freedom, which is not a culture of individual rights, means nothing. And so, when he talks about, as you just read the passage mm-hmm. about somebody being Jew and Jewish and therefore cannot be, you know, a supporter of whites, so these people are thinking through the color of the skin, which they is are. Or the or or yes. what, uh, black light matters. So you know, you can you know, you can box them. So I'm supposed to be a person sitting on your in, in front of you guys i should be thinking like a brown person who happens to be a muslim and You're not brown? in terms of not, <laughs> i have yeah, never so noticed like, <laughs> yeah, you never know instead of a Actually, person i, never, yeah, I don't even the, think about based it based on certain philosophical principles okay so this is this is clearly the problem. Now, just to add a little historical dimension to all of these things, and which is where people like Barbara Kay and uh, Brian Lilly and the whole lot of them needs to answer, but they won't answer. When Ezra Levant ran the story, and he was the only one in Canada, if not in all of North America, if I remember correctly, but in Canada definitely, for which he was taken to the Human Rights Court, when he ran the Danish cartoon, remember that? Yes. Western Standard, and he published the Danish cartoon. I was with him, and I was writing for Western Standards, and I was working together with my relationship with Ezra goes back to the 9-11 period. And all of these people were on board with him. Right. So Ezra was then the heroic person standing for freedom of speech, because, of course, Islam is all bad. Muslims are all thugs and fascists and, you know, terrorists. And there is no, nothing to talk about it. You know, you can put a label. And so now comes the issue of standing similarly for freedom of speech, which is about what has happened in Charlottesville. What is happening with the Trump administration? What is the fake news? What is about Black Lives Matter, Antifa, that you have discussed it, you know, making those discussions, bringing it out. What is the role of a media that is serious about digging into the story, not living in the moment, but putting context to it? All of these people have jumped the ship because their virtues, virtue signaling, they're not part or will have nothing to do with the people who are neo-Nazis, who are skinheads, who are KKK. But this is not the story of neo-Nazis, skinhead, and KKK. This is the story about what is happening in American politics, where violence is replacing discourse. And the Democratic Party and all the f- people allied with the Democratic Party and the mainstream media, which has become an arm of the Democratic Party, or we can flip it over and say that the De- Democratic Party is the arm of the mainstream media, they have all basically now ganged up, including the ACLU. By the way, the ACLU was the one that represented the Nazi Party in the famous landmark case of 1977, which went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court decision came down, you know, this is protected speech. Now, the ACLU and others are saying no freedom of speech for the people on the right. Freedom of speech, the landmark decision of the Supreme Court, which is at the heart of the First Amendment, there is no exception. The moment there's an exception, the whole idea then has no value.
3: It either exists or it does not. You can't have exceptions. Precisely. You have freedom of speech to talk about this, Precisely. but not
4: that. So the, it, that's what the brown lilies of this world have to answer, and I think they are not going to answer it because they are intellectual yet idiots.
3: Take it even further. Where is the right in this country? Is there a right at all? Because I'm looking here, here we have well, a What do you mean by right, Bob? by 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 people like us they don't exist they're not in the political oh, the spectrum right. yet and, and like conservative leader andrew Scheer gets on the bandwagon speaking against the rebel media and says he'll never do a, an interview with yeah. them again yeah. what because of their coverage of of charlottesville and then who else p- piles on board of course patrick brown ontario pc leader Andrew Scheer, conservative leader for the federal uh, yeah. party. Yeah, they're all they're all copping up They're as left wing as any anybody yeah. I've ever seen, and and they and I can't. What is wrong with conservatives that they can't see that in their leadership?
4: Because they're not conservative, because they don't believe in the fundamental principle of individual rights.
2: What they are conserving is the socialist polity that we have today. That is what they're conserving you find that the Conservatives are in favor of virtually every single policy that has ever been implemented by the Liberals in in Ontario, the the NDP. They
4: are what the never-Trumpers in America are, that is, the people of the National Review and so on and so forth. They are the last people marching in the band, which is led by the progressive setting the agenda of how far they're going to move to the world that becomes a corporate administrative state a custodial state where an individual is simply a cog in the machine of the intellectual elites who will run the show. And the National Review and these conservatives are at the end of that band, dragging the foot, saying, we're trying to hold you back, you know. We're trying to hold back. We're trying to defend some value. One of the comments? On What value are they trying to conserve? Exactly. They point. blank out. They will not say here, what here, values here are the conserving. Point. The conservative, by definition, should be Oh, and happen to be always. I go back to Winston Churchill. I go back to Edmund Burke. That is, you conserve history. Whatever may be your opinion about Robert E. Lee, that is our history. You don't destroy it. You talk about it. You want to, you know... Pillory Robert Lily you have the right to do that. That's the the right that is protected by your First Amendment, and I have the right then to contend with you. When, when you but talk you don't about have the right to get violent and go and do what the Taliban's do.
2: Well, of course not. But when you're talking about the um, bleaching of history, when Brian Lilly, and I respect Brian Lilly, when Brian Lilly says, "What is rebel media doing covering this protest?" that is the bleaching process in action. What happened when Faith Goldie actually went against Ezra Levant's order not to go down to Charlottesville? She went anyway, and she happened to be 10 feet away from that car plowing into the protesters. She was in the middle of one of the biggest story events this year, and and yet they don't want to cover
3: this? It's, it's interesting because she understand got fired that. so quick, and I would have wanted to hear her first. I don't care what she thinks. I, I I don't already agree with her on a lot of politics. I've said that before, but I respect all these people for well, what she, they're doing she and she trying to She did an interview do. with uh,
2: well, uh, that, yeah. that racist by storm or yeah, something sure. rather. Yeah, that was and, bad judgment. And
3: that's bad judgment until you see a huge pattern. You shouldn't say anything. But, you know, again, going back to Brian Lilly, he says, I'm, not, I'm also not comfortable with the increasingly harsh tone taken on issues like immigration or Islam. There are ways to disagree on policy without resorting to us-versus-them rhetoric. Well, you're, you've, you've spoken, Salim, for, for the rebel media. Is he talking about you? Because you're on the opposite side of this issue. You've, you've said a lot of negative things
4: about political Islam. And I continue to say, yeah. I have a book coming out, hopefully yeah. uh, this fall, and and that's the part of the discussion. You but know? is
3: this the part of the discussion that a guy like Brian Lilly would be in no,
4: Brian Lilly I think from my point of view as as this discussion went, has established himself that whatever he says now has to be taken with that three letters I yeah. Y I, you know. <laughs> and and that's what is the twenty sixteen election is going to be a landmark uh, election seen in history. Already, you know? already looks and it. It already is. It yeah. is It is one of those elections that, in a sense, was the most critical one, and in our lifetime we have been lucky enough to see this, that the common people stood against the IYIs, and they were counted in making a difference. And that's the pushback that is taking place. This is a civil war that has eru- erupted in America, and we are in the middle of it.
2: It's the Civil War, complete with violence as well. It is as with violence.
4: Saying. I mean, nobody's talking about the uh, Bernie Sanders supporters going out with uh, guns to a, a baseball diamond and shooting up uh, Republican congressmen. Steve Scalise is still in, yes. in, in, in a terrible condition in, in the hospital, you know. Uh, and nobody's talking about it. I mean, you, you began talking about communist and, and fascist. Well, here was Bernie Sanders. You know, I, I mentioned you, Senator Byrd. Here was Bernie Sanders, a, a completely confirmed communist who was running for the nomination of the Democratic Party. And, and nobody in the media said a boo. Here's a guy who went for his honeymoon all paid up by the Soviet Union to the Soviet Union. So here, I mean, you, you don't go for a honeymoon to Soviet Union paid up by Soviet Union.
2: I did not know that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, Salim, the hour is gone again. I guess there's not much right out there, but there's certainly a lot right in here. And we hope to have you back again in the future to continue these discussions, as we hope to have all our listeners join us. So do join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color to black and white.
6: Everything will be all right. Sooner or later, we will find the position of your airbase without you, so why not get a little something out of it yourself? Yes, and then you will bomb it. (laughs) No, nothing could be further from our minds. We only want the position for our records, that's all. Look at your situation realistically, Boucher. You have lost the war, you have lost your fiancé, and now you have lost your liberty. Who can make life bearable for you, eh? Your friends, Sir Germans. We're a wonderful people.
1: <laughs> Thank you.